on mypodcasthouse.com, you're listening to On The Grid with Tony Shebeki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thanks for joining us. However you're listening to us, you might even be listening to us through iTunes. We really do appreciate you being on board. Big day coming up today in regards to who we're going to have a chat to. Cam McConville to join us in just a tick. We'll have a talk to him about the weekend's racing at Sydney Motorsport Park for supercars, the night race. How spectacular was it? And we'll uh, also talk to him about Daniel Ricciardo's Formula One decision to head to Renault next year. Mark Brax also to join us a little bit later on, and we'll cover off the world of two wheels. Of course, we had the MotoGP of Bruno on the weekend as well. All that to come right here on The Grid. That word because you know you can't touch this. Joining us for a chat about all things motorsport, and it's fantastic to have this guy on the program. Hopefully, we can do a bit more with him as the days roll on. Of course, he's a former supercar driver. He's driven a lot of different cars in different categories, as well as a Formula One car. His name is Cam McConville. Bathurst winner joins us on the line. G'day, Cam. Uh, g'day, Shabek. Nice to be part of it. Nice to have you as part of it as well, mate. Uh, great to see you up there at Sydney on the weekend for what was a pretty special weekend, wasn't it? And definitely a, a very special Saturday night for supercars. Your thoughts on how it all went down? Yeah, look, it was, wasn't it? I had a great atmosphere. I was fortunate to drive in the GT event, which was uh, Friday and Saturday, but I stayed on for the supercars. And I think you only had to look at where we were located, which was uh, on the entrance on the drag strip side. That's where our GT paddock was, and the amount of people flooding in pretty constantly from about three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you know, I, I could see even then I could see, wow, this is this is definitely more than twelve months ago when it was a, a normal, you know, three day weekend. Yeah. So, um, you know, full credit to V8 Supercars. I mean, they had their knockers that it wasn't going to work. Um, you know, well, I think there's just people that are thinking that that Sydney Motorsport Park, no one will come out. It's cold, but as you and I know from Victorians, it wasn't cold at all. It was 18 degrees. So Beautiful. It was actually quite, quite balmy. But, yeah, look, I think on all levels, the race was fantastic. Uh, the event was well run. The fireworks, everything that supercars resourced to make it work, uh, it, it come up trumps 10 out of 10, I would say. I've been saying uh, right throughout the entire weekend that I don't think I've seen that many people in the stand and that hill down towards the end uh, at Turn 1 of the, of the main straight, I don't think I've seen that many people there since MotoGP days back at Eastern Creek. Yeah, you're right, you're right. It was uh, it was nice to see, and I thought um, the little touch with them all having their flashing uh, glasses was a bit like a Coldplay concert, you know? You could yeah. see them all in the grandstand, you'd make them out. Um, even the driver introductions, and I'm, I know that's quite American NASCAR style, but I think that worked, and when you look at it, you know, and uh, you and I have got have got kids, and there's always sport on on the weekend. So, I think it was a, a smart move. There might have been Saturday sport in the morning, or shopping, or whatever, and uh, get out to the track at about sort of three thirty for qualifying, and watch the race, and you're home by ten on a Saturday night. So, you know, I'd expect that supercars will learn from this, and and there will be more of them uh, next year. Uh, I'm thinking that the story on speedcafe.com uh, today signifies that there definitely is interest from supercars to talk about more night racing, not just at Sydney Motorsport Park, but I think the two tracks that they're considering as being the other two possible venues for night racing are Barber Gallo and Simmons Plains in Tasmania. 
I would have yeah. thought, I would have thought Queensland Raceway probably holds more of an attraction than Simmons Plains. I couldn't understand why you'd want to walk out of Simmons Plains at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, uh, in a winter's nope. evening. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, Shavik, not unless it was in the middle of summer, right? Exactly. It's also something that's on the radar, yeah, I correct. believe. So, yeah, and, and I'm with you. I certainly wouldn't want to be there at night. You'd need seven different layers of clothes on oh, for Tassie. Please. But I think when you look at it from a cost perspective, it makes sense why they've picked those two because they're yep. the smallest tracks on the calendar. And, you know, there's obviously an increased cost in lighting, and I'm not sure what that would be, but I think it would be significant. Um, QR... As you know, under the Shannon's banner has a night race or a twilight event for production cars. So that one certainly, I think, is a is a better fit. But I'm more intrigued about this discussion, and it came up quite a lot over the weekend, about uh, a summer series starting imminently, like potentially as soon as next season, uh, and Channel 9 showing some interest in the rights is, is yeah. the latest I heard over the weekend. Well, that makes a lot of sense on a few points. Channel 9 have no sport at all other than tennis. Uh, throughout the year, so it wouldn't be an issue in regards to running it. They just wouldn't run an event during the Australian Open time. That would be Channel 9 covered off. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, The other thing is summer racing has been spoken about for a while, and your thoughts on how it all works out, Cam, to the extent that it gets it away from footy, it gets it away from rugby league. Not that when you have a look at the numbers that we saw on the weekend, uh, both rugby league matches in Sydney on Saturday night we're still about 10,000 people short than what actually supercars had at Sydney Motorsport Park. Yeah, oh, look, I, I think it's overdue for a change. I mean, it's you're right, there have been discussions when Channel 7 had it. I, I, I remember there were rumours around back then. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how much we are opposition to AFL or NRL because we're nowhere near that level of motorsport as far as being a mainstream sport. Yeah. Having said that, you know, if you're taking a family... On a race, on a weekend of sport, going to an AFL game or an NRL game is a lot cheaper. So you're competing against price point for a starters. You know, it's, it's it's not cheap to take a family to a motorsport event, unfortunately. Um, and I think uh, I think that's why you know, look, I, I feel that there's a lot of upside for for the summer series. I really do. You know, I mean, climate's one of them, but. Um, you know, kids are on holiday, so there's, there's, you know, you've got to try and fill in time for them and take them, take them somewhere. So, look, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. How it's transitioned from a winter into a summer is probably going to be the logistical tricky part because teams will finish racing in December, and so do you spell it for eight months or do they restart again a month later? So I'm not mm. sure how they're going to how they're going to work that out. But look, I. I support it. I think it would be fantastic and uh, perhaps there will be more twilight races or you know, sunset races in the future. And I suppose if you were going to do summer racing, where would be your starting point? Would you start your season as NASCAR do at Daytona? Would you start your season at Bathurst? Yeah, that's a very good point, Shrek. It's another one I heard on the weekend that, that Bathurst would still be the 1,000, but it, but it might kick off in sort of late February. Um, sorry, not like everyone. I'm saying towards the end of the year, you know. So yeah. you're right. As as the very first event, I'm thinking the 12 hours February, so they have to avoid that one. But yeah, look, there, there'll be a lot of change, and uh, as you know, uh, change is difficult in sport. But you know, I think you have to look at cricket, what they've done with Big Bash. Um, you know, really making it an entertainment, and that's what uh, it, when you're in the sport, it's very easy to think about the competitor, the team. But motorsport is in the entertainment industry, and I think we proved that on the weekend with supercars with the twilight race, the 
you know, the grid walks, getting the kids in involved and the fireworks, you know, and it, and, and it, and it worked. So you just got to think of the entertainment spectacle. It did. And with back, Big Bash, I mean, it's pretty hard to sort of do Big Bash versions of supercars, but I suppose you can, especially with the night racing. And we look at the weekend, there's been a bit of talk about the fact that the 300 kilometres was probably a bit too long to ingest as one race. Maybe it should have been maybe three 100 kilometre races or a 100 and a 200. Your thoughts on that, Cam? Yeah, I like the 100 uh, and 200 formats. I think, one, I agree, one long race, 77 laps, really, if there isn't a safety car, which fortunately there was, uh, it can get a bit processional. You know, it's a multi-stop race. So for the fans, if they don't have a screen in front of them, they're really not sure who's where. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think they want to see more starts because the first five five laps of the race and the last five are the exciting ones. Uh, and the cars are so even now, we know that it's hard to overtake. So, yeah, I think that's the only thing that they could change is, is sharpen it up with some shorter sprints under lights. Yourself, mate, uh, you mentioned you were running in the GT Championship on the weekend, uh, finishing down the order in, in race number three on the Saturday, but it uh, wasn't a bad weekend's racing. Oh, look, Shebex, I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, we, we raced the, the Huracan, the Lamborghini. So the car owner, Adrian Deeks, focuses, focuses generally on the enduro round. So that was the only sprint we did. But, yeah. um, look, the car speed, we got fastest lap in the last race. And I think I handed over to him in P4 and actually in the lead in race one. But being a pro driver, our pit stop time is nearly a minute. So um, we always drop down the order with that and, and Adrian hasn't driven for three months so look as I say yeah I, I just I'm very grateful to be able to jump in a car like that and have a fang around and we've got one more round in New Zealand which is the 500k which certainly works because most of the field has a pro like myself um it, it evens out and gives us a you know top five chance but the sprint was always up against us but uh, it was just nice to be part of that meeting and always put my hand up to have another drive from time to time as you would, and, you, and being a part of Wall Racing as well, which that car is, gee, is David Wall's really extended that little operation of his now into some uh, some good stuff. Of course, he's doing what he does with uh, Porsche Wilson Security Carrera Cup. They've got the GT3 Cup Challenge, GT Racing. There's a fair bit happening for Wall Racing. Yeah, they're doing a great job, um, Quebec. You know, David Wall's still putting car on pole and now running a big business, really, because, you know, there was us in the Lambo. There was a 458 Kofi car, which finished second with Dave Stevens. And then he's got the three Carrera Cup cars. And then, as you mentioned, in Cup Challenge with Chelsea Angelo. Chelsea Angelo. So there's nearly half a dozen race cars there um, in three different categories, or four if you include trophy class, does separate from GT. So certainly a big step up. And um, I enjoy I enjoy driving in the Lambo Underwall Racing. They're just a, it's a good family team. And uh, similar to when we're at Zagami, really, it's a small team, but they get the basics right. And I uh, look forward to having one more hit out in October with them. Should also mention Porsche Wilson Security Carrera Cup also racing on the weekend, and it was a great win, round win for Dylan O'Keefe. But always fantastic to see uh, when the Australian and the Asian series get together as they did this weekend. <laughs> Makes for some uh, fun racing. Yeah, they did. it was really exciting under lights too. They, they had their final. They did. So as you say, they do their individual races, Asian and Australian, then they have a joint pro and a joint am race. And uh you know, it was very exciting. I mean, Dylan O'Keefe did a great job all weekend. It was actually really nice to see young Jordan Love get a win there. Um, I was sitting in the Lambo on the dummy grid, so I was trying to watch as much of it as I could uh, because I'm a big fan of Jordan. He's such a good kid. But, you know, and, and the Ams turned it on. They had a couple of little incidents. But, um, 
you know, it's a great format. Last year, Carrera Cup, because I was in the race, we went to Sepang and they really rolled out the red carpet for us over there. And this year, it uh, alternates and, and went to Eastern Creek. So I think hopefully for the Asian series, they got a, a good taste of V8 Supercar event and finishing off as the, as the last support act under lights, you know, it was pretty special too. So yeah, look, Carrera Cup just goes from strength to strength, doesn't it? You know, they got yeah. full fields and, I think they're bringing in three or four new cars for next year and, and they're all spoken for. So it's a good problem to have. Not many support categories can say they've got a full grid these days. No, exactly right. And before we let you go, Cam, it would be uh, remiss of me not to get your thoughts on what's been happening in the world of Formula One as you're uh, a massive follower of that. And the Daniel Ricciardo story that broke over the weekend, I think it knocked everyone off its feet, the fact that he had signed with Renault. I'd be pretty safe in saying not too many people would have seen that happening. No, no, that's for sure, Shebex. So, yeah, it very much surprised me when I picked the phone up on Saturday morning. I think, uh, you know, when you look at it, people have to remember that motor racing is all about momentum. And, you know, is, is Red Bull switches engines, you know, their momentum was pretty strong when uh, Vettel was there and, and Mark. I think, you know, is Daniel going to win a world championship in a Renault, in a Red Bull? So, I don't know, he probably thought he... The Ferrari door's closed, Mercedes door's closed for now. So everyone sees it as a backward step, but I don't think it is. It's probably a sideways step. Mm. Um, but he's going with a manufacturer, with with a team, or certainly a, a manufacturer that's proven itself to be world championship worthy in the past. And maybe the m- momentum will swing under he, he gets there as a clear number one. And you've also got to remember, like a footballer, these guys... You know, they only have a limited lifespan and they've got to earn a living. So if yeah. he can get five, maybe five to eight million dollars more for a two-year deal than he was going to get at Red Bull, well, he's, he's set up. That's enough to set you up for life. So I think there's probably the financial element and he's looking at that manufacturer input knowing that Renault will be pretty hungry to try and get back and win a world championship. So and I think good on him and let's get behind him and hope he can win some races next year. And we've got to remember too, he's won seven Grand Prix in his time as a driver in Formula One and they've all been under... The new Renault engine under this uh, Renault engine. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, it's um, there's, there's some resources there. I mean, I know Helmut, you know, Dr. Marco and Dietrich have got some serious resources, but there's also been rumours that that team's up for sale. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. It's he, you know, he would have put all the facts in front of him, and uh, the Renault one was clearly a better option. And even if it's just financial, well, he's entitled to make a living because. Uh, He's not going to be someone that'll have a day job when he finishes motorsport. No. Uh, you know, and he may not have, like Mark Webber's very fortunate to have Porsche. Uh, he may not have that. So, you know, I think um, a combination of, of things. But oh, I wouldn't be surprised that he's, uh, you know, fighting for podium straight up and hopefully winning some races in the back end of next year. Cam, thanks for joining us today. Really do appreciate it. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for Dex. Cam McConville joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, time to talk everything two wheels with the man that knows everything about what's happening in the world of two-wheeled racing. Mark Brax joins us on the line. G'day, Braxy. G'day, Shabix. How are you? Mate, happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday to you too. And uh, you're up in Darwin. Tell us what that's all about. Yeah, up there again. Um, I come up here for the annual... It's the TTC, the Territory, the Terra Territory Challenge. Terra is the top end road racing association for motorbikes. Uh, came up here last year to help celebrate their 25th, and they invited me back again to commentate as well as our family gave the motorcycle and go racing as well. So 
This old boy got out and uh, got his jollies on probably one of the best racetracks in <laughs> Australia. It mightn't look much on paper, but I'll tell you what, that is uh, Hidden Valley is one of the funnest tracks that you could ever jump on. What's the best part of the track? Um, it's a long, it's oh, a long straight, so you're getting some great uh, speed going down to one. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting oh, I was heading into turn one, doing probably about 250, 260 yeah. on the speedo, so yeah. You don't get much time to think because you're that speed. That turn one comes up pretty quick. Um, the best part, I oh, will, I tell you, it's into like you got three sections. You got the drag strip, yep. which is the main straight, the 1.3 kilometres, and then you got another 1.5 kilometres of the twisting bits. And from turn one to turn six or turn five through turn five, that uh, uh, fast or well, a very tricky fast right hander, and then you got from the hairpin. And I, I think the best part for me, I was getting really the hang of turns 10, 11 and 12 down into the final turns. Yeah. That's uh, commitment plus. It's easy to get sucked in there and make a mistake. But once you get it right, and um, I had some Monday they didn't hear me screams in the helmet <laughs> when I finished the first race on Saturday afternoon. I had an absolute ball and uh, proved that the old bugger's got a bit of speed left in him. So I might have to do this a bit more often. It's, um, there's no, I don't think there's any bigger rush in the world and sitting on a grid on a motorbike, that you've got the fear factor, the nerves, the excitement, all those emotions. And I sit there going, now I know why Rossi keeps racing. Yeah. This is what a buzz this is. And it's yeah. just that you can't get it anywhere else, I don't think. And that's um, probably in the same in cars and go-karts, whatever it is, sitting on a grid and waiting for it. You've got everybody there and that, that mad dash down into turn one when everybody's jockeying and passing and all the rest of it. No, there's no, nothing beat it. You just you can bottle that and sell it. You're making a million bucks. Oh, no doubt about it, Braxy. And as you know, I've only had the opportunity. I've never actually raced a motorbike, but I've had the opportunity to be on the back of uh, a motorbike with uh, Adam Ferguson around Phillip Island, around on his on the back of his superbike, and uh, that is enthralling enough. I mean, that the, that the experience that I will never forget every metre of that track that I did with Krusty, but I, yeah, you're right. To then go the next level up and actually race yourself and be on the start and all that sort of stuff and the noises, I just couldn't I couldn't even imagine what that would be like. <laughs> no, I still get butterflies thinking about it from the other weekend, but it didn't go the way we planned. We had a bit of problems, so I didn't... Uh, the bike had a few problems, but I've come back in one bit. I you know, missed out yesterday, but it was a rather unique experience ducking down from the commentary box, jumping into the leathers, going out on the track and... I said, oh, next year we'll wire up for sound. I said, well, if you're going to do that, you better have the seven-second delay on it. <laughs> no, that's, hey, speaking of unique experiences, there was one uh, last night as well at the Czech Moto GP with uh, having a oh. couple of Ducatis up the front. Yeah, uh, first summer Ducatis won at um, that uh, track since uh, certain Casey Stoner back in 2007. And, um, mate, it was, uh, as we alluded to even before the summer break started, you know, that... From now on, there's um, the Ducati tracks. There's Brunei. We've got the, the O1 ring in Austria, or the Bull, Red Bull ring in Austria next weekend. That's going to be suited. You have got you could almost put your house on a Ducati win in that race next week. And uh, we've got then, I think, off to Silverstone. There's a few tracks. Aragon, then the flyaways that really suit the Ducati. So um, I'd say there'll be a bit of a momentum there. But uh, that race last night, mate, that was insane. There was yeah. nine of them there in a big freight train for the majority of the race. And it was only in the latter part that the top three and four actually managed to break away. Rossi even leading the race for a few laps. And the fairy tale, it looked like the fairy tale would have been 22 years 
to that weekend since he won his first Grand Prix back in 1996 at the very same racetrack. And I suppose, well, I had the notion out for him. I thought he might have pulled it off. Um, then Mark Marquez extending his lead in the championship because Rossi um, didn't have the race pace with the tyres. He backed off and he finished fifth in the end. No, he got, uh, pardon me, he got Cal Crutchlow right on the line um, to pull another couple of points back. So um, Marquez third behind De Vicioso. De Vicioso, his first win since last year, his first pole position since the Pang in Malaysia in 2016. So it's been a bit of a while between, before he's been on the top slot of the grid. Uh, but what a what a monumental race! He did so much, so well to um, do it, and Lorenzo from fourth on the grid, and he didn't go backwards. He went forwards for a change. Normally, he's the one that uh, likes to lead and then slowly drops back as the tyres yeah. go off, or he disappears into the distance. But this time, he actually really gave it to him and made some of the moves on his future teammate Mark Marquez. They're going to be teammates in the Repsol Honda squad next year. Uh, mate, Marquez is going to know he's got a teammate in that's not going to take any prisoners, that's for sure. Actually, it's quite funny when you look at the uh, the finished placings for Lorenzo. He had his current teammate in front of him. He's got his future <laughs> teammate behind him and his former teammate behind him. So yeah, swamped yeah. by Rossi, Marquez and Divizioso. Yeah, it was uh, quite ironic, that, wasn't it, the way it all panned out. And uh, tell you what, the, the way that uh, some of the moves with uh, the teammates between Divizioso and Lorenzo... There was some very hard passing there, and they've never really liked each other since their days of racing against each other in the, the 125s and the 250s way back then when the two strokes were in before in the, the smaller categories. And um, it'd be a very icy pit box, that, even though, and yeah. it was even palpable on the uh, the podium that they didn't really look at each other or do much congratulations. Sure, they gave each other a bit of a slap on the back in the pits in Park Fermate at the end of the race, but... Mate, there's no love lost there whatsoever between the Spanish and the Italian. With still so much of the season to go, I'd hate to say it early, uh, but I reckon the championship's nearly over, isn't it? 49 points between Marquez 49, and Rossi. Yeah, I think it is. And uh, Marquez, you know, he tried to get the win. He's a racer, but I think he thought, hang on, uh, he would have got the sign at Rossi where he was, and he's gone, OK, I'm pulling up another points. He's going into the race next weekend in Austria with, a, like you said, a 49-point lead. That's almost two races. Yeah. We'll buy one point. Um, and it is. It's a bit a bit of an anti-climax that it's turning out that way, considering the on-track action that we're witnessing every time these guys get out there. Um, and, you know, he's he's in a class of his own. The way he's riding, some of those on-board shots of his aggression on the bike, when looking back at him, maybe he, is a, he is a class act, and you can't take anything away from it. I suppose, you know, it's... The the, uh, the circles, it's gone full circle because remember looking back, we've had in the days of doing, he just dominated during his time in the 90s and then up to 97. Then Rossi came along and he was the dominant one in the in the early noughties. Um, and now as we get into the teens of the, um, the 21st century, we've got another guy that's uh, going to come through and uh, be going to rewrite the record books as well. So You've got to wonder who's the next wonder kid that's going to come along and uh, rewrite the record books after Marquez has finished. I think that, uh, you know, got these guys that, you know, Agostini was always the one they talk about. Rossi, now Marquez is the one that's going to, well, is he going to be the greatest of all time? Who knows? But uh, you can't take anything away from him. Uh, they've all got their detractors, I suppose, but, mate, when they're on a race bike, they are the, they are the best of the best that we've ever seen. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Jack Miller... Are you a little bit concerned about him? He was so far off from his teammate again last night. 
yeah, it is getting a bit of a worry now, but, but then you've got to think of what bits that Jack Miller isn't getting compared to what Daniela yeah, Petrucci's getting, yeah. considering that um, Petrucci's the... The, what the um, you know he's the anointed one that's going to take Lorenzo's place in the factory Ducati yeah. squad next year, and you know he's Jack's got another top ten finish, um, you know that you can't sneeze at that. His consistency's there. He's proven to everybody else that he can ride uh, the Ducati pretty well. So it's only a matter of time, I think, before next year when he um, gets all the fact they've promised him to get the 2019 bikes the same as what. Patrici's getting this year along the lines of what uh, Lorenzo and Davisioso have got. So you'd like to think that he'll step up to the plate next year and uh, give it to those two boys in the Ducati team. But um, now, Jake would probably be disappointed more than anybody that he's not a bit closer to the front. But when you look at that freight trainer riders, at the, the, well, for the, half the race anyway, he was right in that, that long um, conga line of GP bikes that you think, OK, if you can just get the, get them... The setup, he hasn't got maybe the little bits that he needs, and when we're, we're talking about tenths of a second a lap, really, aren't we, Tone? So yeah, we are. You are. Um, and if you can find that, and if something's not right on the bike, and it's just not letting you use it, and it's not up to spec with the other ones, he's always going to be having that little bit of a struggle. But Jack's time will come. Um, well, it better because if it doesn't, if he doesn't um, do it next year then he'll be really looking to find another ride. And if you can't do it with the factory team, then, as you know, it's a very fickle yep. and callous industry that they're in. It doesn't take long to be from the flavour of the month to the uh, food poisoning of the month. No, exactly right. A couple of quick news stories before we let you go, Braxy. I'll just get your comments on them. Casey Stoner to give up his uh, Ducati test ride. Are you surprised about that? Um, not really. I'm surprised he's lasted doing that yep. this long, to tell you cool. the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like he, he walked away from the sport. Rubio Super got him back to do the Honda gig for a while, and then that turned um, sour and went pear shaped. Then Ducati stepped into the plate, and he's had a couple of turns. And I, I think you know, he's a, he loves his fishing, he loves his quiet life. He's got his um, kid and then wife and everything. And you've got to think you're riding a bike at once every two, three months, maybe um, doing a test ride. You're putting yourself on the line every time you go out in a motorbike. And he's probably might have had a couple of um, near misses and we don't know if he's crashed. They keep all that stuff pretty quiet when it comes down to it when they're doing the private testing with these guys. He might have had a couple of moments gone, I'm 30 years old now, do I really need this? I've got yeah. the money. I'm quite happy doing what I've got. He's got his property up at Tamworth. He's got his place down on the coast at Lake Macquarie, I do believe, with his fishing and everything. So why not just go and enjoy life? I reckon I'll be doing the same thing. Well, go and put yourself on, put your life on the line to go and test ride when you get nothing really for. I'm sure, pardon me, I'm sure he's getting a lot for it. But what do you get out of it? If he's not getting the satisfaction out of it, walk away from it, mate. Says the man who uh, who just rode on the weekend. But you are getting yeah, the satisfaction. Well, yeah, well, that's what I've, I've just rekindled that. It's been a few years since I've had a steer on a racetrack as far as going in anger and being out there amongst everybody else. And you can, it gives you that, it rekindles that knowledge of going, yeah, mate, this is, you're sitting there, like I said, that adrenaline rush of sitting on the grid. Um, you're scared, you're nervous, you're excited. There's all the, every emotion that you could think of. The only thing is you're not sad. You're, it's all that peak. And once you do that, and it is, it is, it's a great, mate, there's no words to describe it. And I think, 
when you, you, know, you know if something goes wrong, it could turn pear-shaped very seriously. And I'm thinking, hang on, I've got to go to Bangkok next week. The yeah. commentator's got ASBK in a couple of weeks. You've got these other responsibilities. You've got to keep it all in perspective. And I think that's uh, exactly what Stone has done. And Adriana, his wife, probably give him the elbow on the ring. He's going, you idiot. How long are you going to be doing this for? Exactly right. Uh, <laughs> like, like, all good, like all good women do. Exactly right. They, they, if it wasn't for them, we'd uh, all be buggered, no doubt about it. Moto, <laughs> yeah. G, MotoGP testing next week has been announced as well, and no real surprises. Valencia, Jerez, Sepang, and Qatar, the test tracks for next year? Yeah, mate, that's um situation normal, I'd say, is what yep. goes on. Um, the only real surprise, I thought they might have come back out to Australia or Thailand during the, during the off-season, but that's off the cards now. So back to the usual um, European and the Sepang Circuit in Malaysia, which they usually do. And Qatar, they do that test on the eve of the uh, the first Grand Prix of the year anyway down there. So Valencia is always the next day afterwards when all the... Uh, the silly season comes to the, the riders go from A to B. You know, like Lorenzo will leave the track on Sunday night at Valencia in a red shirt and come back in a white shirt to ride the Honda the next on the Tuesday after they celebrate the end of the year. So no real surprises with the testing dates, that's for sure. And I'm sure, and I haven't asked you this question before, but you must have a starring appearance in the Wayne Gardner movie, which uh, featured at the Melbourne International Film Festival last week. No, I don't think I have. I haven't seen it, actually. WG sent me a, a message from Spain to say that when it was on, but unfortunately it was on Friday night in uh, Melbourne. Yeah. I've seen the shorts of it. Or maybe I do get a starring role. I don't know. I'll have to go and have a look at it because I was part of all that thing back way back then in the 80s and the 90s when he was racing. And, uh, um, you know, I think it's more about his championship year and not his whole career. Um but, mate, um, if, I've, if I'm in there, I'll be surprised, but I'll be very humbled if I am as well. I'm sure you will be too. And, mate, just before I let you go, you'll be absolutely wrapped to know that sun, uh, the Sunday night supercar racing at Sydney Motorsport Park, I have never seen a crowd at Sydney Motorsport Park as big as it was on the weekend. It reminded me of the old MotoGP days of when uh, Wayne and Mick were going around in those days. That grandstand was absolutely full, and even the hill, down uh, to, down uh, the main straight down to turn number one, you, there was not a millimetre of grass that you could see. It was just people everywhere. Really? So yeah. they've, um, the V8 boys have uh, hit on something there that obviously going to go into the future. And they might have, with the lighting there and everything, I've, I haven't heard any bad reports from it. So everybody was happy. I wonder if they'll get the bikes there for a bit right. of a skew at night time as now, well. That's exactly what I was thinking. Wouldn't that be fantastic as well if you could get the super bikes there as well for a bit of night racing? Geez, that'd be good. Oh, yeah, that'll be sensational. But uh, good to see that they're uh, thinking outside the box. I suppose it's, it's, it's not as if it hasn't been done before. While we're on park, used to have the racing under lights as well. Um, just going, you know, back to the future, so to speak. But um, just shows you that uh, if you come up with good ideas, and the other, that's a, you know, it gives people something to do at night, which I think in Sydney, um, especially because there's so many things to do during the day, Eastern Creek tends to get lost in the. The, uh, the mix of what yeah. happens in a big city like Sydney. And I think having it at night time, um, it's better for people, that, especially on a, a Saturday night, uh, can turn it into a bit of a family-orientated thing. I think it was a great idea to do. Yeah, no, I think you might be right, buddy. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us, Braxy. Have a safe trip back to Melbourne, and uh, we might catch up with you while you're overseas next week. Yep, no worries, mate. All the best. Always good to talk to you, Shabitch. Mark Brax talking motorbikes right here on The Grid.
That's all we've got time for for another week here on The Grid. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much to Cam McConville and Braxy for joining us and having a, a chat. We look forward to bringing you the best in motor racing next weekend right here on The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com.